In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now, John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by John in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say about yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, he said. But the one who's more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Who John the Baptist was a strange bird, an odd ball out there in the wilderness, dressing weirdly, eating differently, baptizing some people, barking at other people, berating others even. A lot can be said about all those words, all those warnings, what he wore, of course, his camel hair and leather. And the reason we get all these details, I believe, is that they point to how all of that made John the Baptist stand out as someone unique, as special, as chosen perhaps as someone different and worth listening to for a change, as someone worth heeding and following, and someone, however surprising it would have been, that they and we should pay attention to. John the Baptist is one of those people I believe most of us might have looked at sideways at the time, maybe even kept our distance from in the moment, but who, in hindsight, knew exactly what he was talking about. Because above all else, John the Baptist, Jesus' crazy cousin, was a truth teller. And the truth can be hard to hear sometimes. He was the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, as the prophet Isaiah promised. He knew a thing or two about the reign of God, and his ministry was about preparing for the kingdom to come by way of Jesus. And John knew that in the coming of Jesus, God's reign of love and justice and mercy and grace was about to break into the world in a way that it had never done before. And John was on a mission to preach and to teach and to warn and to welcome whoever would listen to him about what that could mean for them and for the world. John the Baptist is impassioned then, and he's frustrated, it seems, and angry even about what he sees in the world around him. 
And so all that talk about axes and trees, about threshing floors and chaff and unquenchable fire is evidence of that passion. And it can be scary to some. It doesn't sound very gracious or forgiving or hopeful on the surface, and maybe that's not what John was going for in the moment. But the truth is, each of us has something like the chaff of sin in our lives that really is worth repenting, worth changing, worth letting God have God's way with by the refining fires of grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. And I like to think that's the kind of stuff that John and Jesus, for that matter, want to be cut down and burned up and done away with in our lives. So while it might be tempting to write John off as some kind of crazy carnival barker out there in the wilderness, John the Baptist is a model. He is an example for anyone with a truth to tell, for anybody who prepares a path, for anyone who makes a way, for anyone crying out in the wilderness of injustice or sin or ugliness and despair with news of love and grace and mercy and hope. And someone maybe not everybody wants to hear from all the time. So I thought about John the Baptist when I read a story in the Christian Century magazine this week by a woman named Elizabeth Bellasetti. She's an Episcopal priest, and her story is one about a guy named Luke. And Luke wants to be a pastor, to be ordained a priest himself, actually, in the Episcopal Church. And this guy, Luke, and John the Baptist have some things in common. Luke doesn't wear camel hair and leather, but he is covered in cheap tattoos and he wears the state-issued blue garb of a maximum security prison somewhere in Virginia. The food in the prison cafeteria might be worse and weirder than locusts and wild honey. So Luke has created a food ministry where inmates can get soup and ramen noodles to fill them up when they can't get enough to eat otherwise. Luke's wilderness is not the wilds of the Judean countryside like John's were. Luke's wilderness is the prison hospital and its mental health units where he spends time caring for other inmates. And his wilderness is to the library and the prison chapel wherever he leads Bible studies and worship inside the facility for and with prisoners just like himself. Now, we don't know much about John the Baptist's past, but Luke is locked up, going on 20 years with another eight if he keeps up his good behavior. And Luke is in prison, not for setting fire to some metaphorical chaff like John preaches about, but for actually trying to burn his family's house down so he could use the insurance money to pay his college tuition and for killing his brother Andrew before setting the fire. Luke did all of this when he was just 18 years old. And Luke is also like 
John the Baptist, apparently, in that he knows a thing or two about the power of repentance. That is, if you believe his story, and if you see his call to ministry as legitimate and faithful, as many people do, including his parents and his pastor and um, those whose house he tried to burn down. There's some evidence of Luke's repentance, of his turning, of his changed ways. He's established, like I said, this food ministry in prison where hungry inmates can get food when they need it. He also organizes large meals for holidays and special occasions like Thanksgiving and Easter and Christmas. It might surprise you to know that three square meals every day are not guaranteed to every inmate in every corrections facility, even though that's the law. Luke has helped with the ministry that trains dogs to become therapy pets, too. And he's a confidant and a counselor to other inmates. He fills in unofficially when the prison chaplain hasn't been able to be around due to COVID protocols the last couple of years. He listens well. He pays attention to what others are going through. He prays for and he prays with them when they need it. And apparently Luke gives a good hug, which is something I imagine to come, hard to come by in prison most days. His desire to fulfill the role of priest as it's defined officially in the Episcopal Church's common book of prayer means that he longs to represent Christ to his church, particularly as pastor to the people, to share with the bishop in the overseeing of the church, to proclaim the gospel, to administer the sacraments, and to bless and declare pardon, forgiveness, in the name of God. It may not surprise you that the church, capital C, has declined Luke's candidacy for ordination. The church did what the church does best. They sent a committee to meet Luke in prison before they made their decision. Now, I've only read one article about all of this, so my presumptions might be unfair and unfaithful, but I couldn't help but think of this committee as something like the Pharisees and the Sadducees that John railed against down by the river, this diocesan commission on ministry, they are called, that visited Luke in the wilderness of his prison only to decide to stop his discernment process, at least until he's out. Maybe it's not fair to call them a brood of vipers like John the Baptist might have. Maybe it is. I don't know. But Luke is still willing to jump through all of their hoops, to do all of their work, to endure all of the rejection and suspicion and skepticism that comes his way, knowing it won't change his situation in prison one bit. But because, he says, of the spiritual power and the authority God's call to ordain ministry would give him in his dealings with others in the prison, even and especially in the wilderness, of the prison where he lives. Luke even acknowledges that weighed in the balance, as he puts it, the totality of his life will always be negative because of the crimes he's committed. He's not trying to earn God's favor or God's forgiveness or work his way out of the moral mess of his life by seeking to serve. 
He says he knows that he only gets into heaven by God's grace and the skin of his fingernails, and so he longs to live the best way that he can, to give back all that he can, and to follow God in every way that he can. His quest for ordination is about growing into who he thinks he has always been created to be, marked in a baptism like John the Baptist's very own down by the river, just like most of us have been marked with the cross of Christ forever. Luke says that things like the food ministry that he started grow wonderfully, even in the wilderness of a prison. They just need a seed to get started, and that's his calling as he sees it. Not to carry the burden for everybody, just to be the seed that evokes our best selves. Like the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, you might say. Preparing a way, you might say. Making a straight path. Calling others in the darkest, most despairing times of their lives to repentance and to forgiveness and to peace of mind. I think Luke sounds a lot like John whether the powers that be are able to see it or to recognize it or to believe it or to encourage him or not. And I like to believe that if someone like Luke can do what someone like John the Baptist can do, repent, receive forgiveness, make room for others in the wilderness of their lives to experience some measure of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and hope, then someone's like you and I can do the same more often by way of the love made known to us and through us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.